0: Hey, good morning. Y'all can have a seat, if you're so inclined, I suppose. Um, If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, We will continue our study through Genesis 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one as we'll be using it today. Um, Some of you may be aware we have a family in the church who recently lost a close family member, so we'll be praying for them, too, as we we start our day, and you can be praying for the Brown family um, as they're... Dealing with that unfortunate loss. Um, uh, I will pray for us. We'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, Our Father, we come to you today uh, as people in need. Uh, I I pray as we explore uh, the truth of your word that we would see that need, uh, uh, but wouldn't just see the need, but see the answer for that need in the gospel that we'd see the answer for our need in the face of Jesus Christ. We'd see the answer for the need not in our works or ability uh, uh, to get right with you, but our our desperate need to be made right with you by your son. Jesus, we pray you would lead us, guide us, and help us today. Uh, We lift up the the Brown family to you and pray your blessing and grace upon them uh, in, in their time of need and pray that that we would just continue to have them on our thoughts and in our minds and in our prayers uh, this week. Uh, Help us as I enter into this scripture, Holy Spirit, please lead and guide uh, the the unpacking of the text. Uh, Lead and guide me through what you want us to hear today. Uh, And I just pray, Lord, that the things of me uh, that are just of me would be forgotten, but that the things of you, God, would shine so clearly. We are sinners who need your grace. We just confess that now and praise you for the mercy you've shown us and the life you've given us. And so Jesus, please lead us and guide us now. Uh, We pray these things for your glory and for our joy and in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. So we're in Genesis uh, chapter six, starting in verse one. Um, There is a famous story that I recently had relayed to me by a a professor of theology. Uh, Whether or not this is a true story remains debated as no one can find the letter. But but according to the story, Uh, The Times of London uh, asked for editorials from famous writers about what is wrong with the world. They received one letter and said, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. If you've never read Chesterton, uh, that's right up his alley. He is very funny and clever, and I think in this case, right. Um, As we look to chapter 6, we see the story of Genesis uh, 1 through 11 headed sort of on a downhill slope towards the flood, which of course leads to an uphill slope towards Abraham and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And as we look at this text, we're going to look and sort of see this downhill slope uh, creating this sense in which the wheels are sort of coming off. Uh, Things are not going well. Uh, And as we look at this text, uh, I think we have to always continually remember, not just for dramatic purposes, I could wait till the end, but there is good news here. Yeah, the wheels are coming off, but God has a program and a plan in Jesus Christ to redeem the world. It's coming. That is the good news of the gospel, that though we break things, God fixes them in His Son, Jesus Christ, and there's nothing we can do to earn that. But as we look at this text, we're sort of on the front end of that reality, and so we're going to look to answer three questions from the text. What is wrong with the world? What is the solution, and uh, what do we do about it? Uh, and, and I think, as, as happens with a lot of Genesis, even as we dig in, there's some, some what either can be perceived as fantastic elements uh, or, or, or seen as fantastic elements. And sometimes when we get so fixated on those elements, we miss that the same things happening here are happening right now in our own world uh, and that, that human beings haven't changed all that much since the time of uh, Noah here. So chapter 6, starting verse 1. Uh, when man began to multiply on the face of the earth or face of the land, uh, and the daughter, pardon me, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took them as their wives as they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days will be 120 years. Okay. So, you may or may not have seen the Russell Crowe movie, but we've got a problem with the Russell Crowe movie. Okay. Uh, The problem actually lives right here in a book that you've never heard of called Enoch. But it's a cool sounding book. Not in the Bible, that's why you've never heard of it. Uh, So some people read this and try and work it out. Uh, So we have these sons of God and these daughters of men. And I have to address it because Russell Crowe made a movie and they deal with it. Uh, And so the two theories go that this is either the sons of God are angels and the daughters of men are people and that's why God's unhappy with the whole situation. And if you go to the Bible and you try and read it we'll say with the weirdness, like you're looking for weirdness in the story. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, uh, particularly when you keep it in mind with uh, the book of Job, where it talks about uh, sons of God. And, and and when you look at it, I think what's actually happening, and I'll show you why I think this is, they're not angels, they're people. Uh, the sons of God are the descendants of Uh, sort of the godly line, the daughters of men are people who are not following after the God of of the Bible, Uh, and as a result, when people stop caring about following God, they do weird stuff, like marry people who don't want to follow God. This creates problems. Now, here's where I get my interpretation. Well, first of all, here's where Russell Crowe gets his interpretation. So if you saw the movie, there's some weird rock things and whatever, and you're like, I didn't see that in the Bible. That's all in Enoch. And that's pretty much all you really need to know. If you saw the movie, you're like, oh, Maybe I shouldn't go see movies about Noah with Russell Crowe Perhaps. Perhaps you're free in Christ to do so. I'm just saying, probably not the greatest place to go for biblical exegesis. Now, here's what's helpful. When we get something weird like that, and maybe you read it and you didn't even think that weirdness, but sometimes people make a big deal out of it, particularly sort of, you know, Hellenistic rabbis. Or they're not technically rabbis until after 135 A.D., but here we go. Luke chapter 17 When something gets weird, it's really helpful if Jesus explains it to you. Uh, Luke 17, 22. And he said to the disciples, that's Jesus, the days are coming when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, a title for himself, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, or look here. He's he's looking forward to, when he ascends to heaven, people are going to look around and say, you know, I've got the day figured out. Put up a billboard, it's, you know, I don't want to say anything because then you're going to, then you're going to put up a billboard or something. But, you know, you say, you decide it's November 1, and you put up the billboard and say, hey, look out, the end is coming, it's November 1. Jesus is saying here, look out for that, don't listen. Look here, do not go out and follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Here's what he's saying. When I come back, you will know. So don't worry about it. Uh, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah. Okay, so whenever we see in the New Testament, interestingly enough, whenever Noah gets talked about, so does the, the return of Jesus. Uh, he sees them as similar events, and we'll talk about that here. Um, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. And Now here's, here's what's going on as we kind of unpack the text from here. Keep this in mind. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until that day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They're just doing it. They're just doing life. They're doing their thing. Uh, and, and I think what we're after here are the sons of God are people of sort of the godly line and the daughters of uh, man where people were not following God. Uh, and then I think it gets more confusing here. So, and, and we'll talk about it here. Uh, and they took their wives. Okay, we read that. Uh, then the Lord said, My spirit... There's a capital S here. Hebrew doesn't have capital letters. I don't think this should be a capital S here, if you're in the ESV. I think what this is in reference to is that we know that God creates human beings, and he breathes his life into them. I don't think this means that the Holy Spirit's resting on everyone for 120 years. I think it means that God's not going to have them be alive. And this is his grace and mercy, because what are they doing? What are they doing with the life he's giving them? Wiling out and making a mess. his day shall be 120 years. Okay. Verse 4. Now here's where we start. Have to. What's going on? The Nephilim. What's a Nephilim? Well, some people think it's a giant. This word, Nephilim, Nephilim, it means a fallen one. So these are the kids of the sons of God and the daughters of men. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came in, To the daughters of man, they bore children to them. These are the mighty men of old, the men of renown. So there's stories of all the adventures that people are having before the flood. The Nephilim, the fallen one, the mighty men, are part of those stories. And honestly, the Bible just doesn't give us that much detail. Um, Guys like Robert Alter are going to kind of spin this out and get crazy with it. He's a biblical, he's a popular uh, biblical scholar. Uh, But honestly, sometimes people just want things to spin out and get crazy. Uh, I actually dealt with this very text uh, in a very basic Hebrew Bible class here in Seattle in my university. Uh, and the teacher spun it out in this massive, fantastic story of the angels and people and giants and da, 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 da. I'm sitting in the back of class and everyone's really confused. And I raise my hand and I say, could it, could it be that it's talking about, and I just told him what I heard from my pastor at the time, you know, and I said, could it be that the Sons of God are just godly people, and the daughters of men are this, and the Nephilim are their kids, and that's just kind of what's going on. And the teacher looks at me and says, There is no possible way that is the answer. <laughs> Engineering student, because a general ed class raises his hand. Analytical thinker, right? Engineering student raises his hand and says, You know what that guy just said made a lot more sense <laughs> than what you just said. Let's go with his. He's got to unpack it a little bit. Now, now, what's important here is this whole thing is setting the same scene that Jesus is saying. They're eating, they're drinking, they're doing life. I mean, that's where we're at in life. People disregard and don't care. They're, they're not concerned if they're living right with the good Lord. They're not concerned how their life affects other people. We're just living. And I think Jake, uh, G.K. Chesterton's answer is very interesting here, because I think if you even just look at how culture is going, how we present stories, as a culture, we're actually getting more cynical and cynical and cynical, like, if you just look at the movies that are coming out, people have a cynical take on, on on things that aren't normally cynical things. You know, superhero movies are getting like darker and darker and darker. Like it can't just be like Batman running around and doing the dance thing. Like it has to be like serious and dark and brooding and gnarly and rainy. And in Seattle we like the rain. It's the rainy time and it's gonna rain and those of us who like the rain are happy about it for now. But that doesn't mean you have to be dark and brooding. You can sing in the rain. It's all right. Okay, so the story gets on. The scene is set. This is what is happening. Verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God looks around, perceives the hearts, and sees that people are after evil. They are after wickedness. They are after themselves. They are after self-centered. They're after the survival of the fittest. They're after playing king of the mountain. They're after these things. They care about themselves. They don't care about others. And God looks and perceives them. Again, when you kind of lift the fantastic elements off, that doesn't actually sound a lot different than a lot of what's happening on planet Earth in 2015. There's a reason people keep pumping out, I'm not endorsing any of them, but people keep pumping out these like, these films and documentaries on like corporate greed or, or whatever that thing that keeps popping up on your Netflix because everyone's got a camera on their phone these days and it's not hard to make a documentary anymore, not saying that any of them are right, just saying it's interesting, right? That, that people are pointing out there's, there's a selfishness, there's a drive, there's a self-centeredness uh, in the world and, and I don't think it's new. What's also interesting here for us as Christians is that it's even clear right here from Genesis 6, he's not after them being he's not after their behavior, he's after their hearts. Their hearts are evil, wicked, and self-centered. Verse 6, this might be one of the saddest lines in the whole Bible. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I made them. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We'll look at Noah a little bit more. Here's what's interesting about Noah. Noah's behavior is not always awesome. Noah is not the guy that you would pick as the righteous dude to be your poster child if what you're after is righteous dudes who do good things all the time. Noah gets picked, as we'll see, Not because he's awesome. But here's what he says about it. This is looking forward to the gospel, by the way. These are the generations of Noah. There's that word again. If you've been following this, this. every time that these are the generations, the story's about to move forward. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That's what makes him blameless. His blamelessness is not that he is awesome. First thing he will do when he gets out of the ark is plant a vineyard, and then hillbilly trouble ensues. Things go poorly for him after that, right? It doesn't go well. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way in the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Wait, what? So God has a plan to, to, to clean house. Right, we love karma in Seattle. That is our religion. You should get what you deserve from the things that you do. Yep, there it is. But he's got a plan. He's got an answer. He's got a way out. Noah, I want you to build a boat. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside it with, uh, inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark uh, and, uh, and finish it to a cubit above and set the door on the ark uh, in its side. Make it lower, second and third decks. Now, I don't have a lot to exegete here. I don't have a lot to pull out of the text other than to tell you a cubit is the length of a man's arm from his pinky to his elbow because that's about all I got here. Why? God's drawing him a plan. He's laying out the blueprint. What's really interesting is that sometimes people say, you know, the Bible didn't, the, there's all these other flood stories that people have around uh, and they just got the idea from them. You know what's really interesting about the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Babylonian flood story? You know what the guy makes? He makes a cube. And other than in Winnie the Pooh movies, cubes don't usually float. He's in a box and the water's coming up. Maybe that's just me. Well, why would he, why didn't we go to the detail to, to tell us about this boat? And why is the, what, the thing about this boat. It sounds like an actual boat that you actually build. Here's the actual blueprint for the actual thing because it's an actual event in history. Well, there's all these flood stories. Maybe that's because there was a flood. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> for behold, I will bring a flood. Oh, there it is. Of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which uh, is the breath of life under heaven. Everything is on the earth. On everything on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant. Judgment on one hand. And God's grace and salvation on the other. These people have done wrong. They deserve justice. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark and your sons and your wife and your sons and wives uh, with you. And above every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort in the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come, and you shall keep it alive. Also take with it every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve uh, as food for you and for them. 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Here's what we hear. The problem is, is that all people are doing bad things. He doesn't say all people, but Noah, he says all people. Noah gets called out of this. He actually obeys God, and in that finds his blamelessness. Uh, this sets out for us this. What is wrong with the world? People. Their hearts. Sin. Uh, this is not only in 6. I'm going to hop around to a bunch of scripture you can listen. I'll call it out, uh, but I'm going to move kind of fast here. Uh, Psalm 53.5 says this, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if, they are, if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is no, none who does good, not one. Jeremiah 17, 18 says this, The heart is deceitful, above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. God is after our heart, not just our actions. To, every, to give a, uh, every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Middle of the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it is said, You shall not commit adultery... But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better uh, that you lose one of your members uh, than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. Jesus' concern is our hearts, what's going on inside, who we are, and in and of ourselves. We continue to put ourselves in the center again and again. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the earth, that's Satan, the spirit that is now the work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, all of us, me, you, everybody, in the passions of our flesh, carrying on the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We deserve that flood. And finally, Romans, chapter 3, starting verse 10 and a half. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks of those who are under the law, those who follow the rules, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. God has a way to live, and we have not lived that way. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in, the sight, in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin." The law shows us our sin. It shows us how how we're to live and we don't live that way. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is where we're at. It's Genesis 6. Uh, what's wrong with the world? I am. I am. Sin is. What's the solution? What do we do about it? Well, God actually has two solutions. There's nothing we can do about it. On one hand, there's judgment. God who is just. He He doesn't let the evil and the corruption go. He sweeps nothing under the rug. Nothing. This is the human condition. This is what's called total depravity. This is where we are at. But God has a solution. Just like Noah, there's an ark. There's salvation. There's a way out. Acts chapter 11. Pardon me, 10, starting Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. As for the world that, that he sent to Israel, preaching as the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee and after the baptism of John. uh, John proclaimed uh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him and uh, after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the the appointed, uh, the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We bring nothing to God, and yet God gives us absolutely everything in Christ. Noah brings nothing to God, and yet God saves Noah. We bring nothing to God, and yet he saves us and makes us alive together with his son. This is the reality of the human person that the, the book of Genesis keeps leading us to, that God made it good and we broke it. God made it so good and so wonderful. And we tried to displace him from his right place in the center of absolutely everything. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. For all who rely on works of the law under a curse. So if you try and get yourself right with God from the things you do, what do we do about it? There's nothing you can do about it. How do I know? For all who rely on the works of the law under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. If you want to try and make yourself right with God, you have to do absolutely everything to make yourself right with God, which you will fall short of. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So this is not the message, hey, there's a flood coming. Hey, there's judgment coming. You start behaving right. It's hey, there's a flood coming and there's a door and a boat. Go in the door. It's pointing forward to Jesus. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, but becoming a per- curse for us. For it is written, "Curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So God looks at us in our estate and where we're we at and what we deserve is a flood. We deserve God's justice and yet Jesus is willing to drink that cup on our behalf because there's nothing we can do. We can't do enough good stuff to get right with God because the gap between us is too large and too huge, and in and of ourselves, apart from Christ and before Christ, we have broken messed up hearts, and Jesus comes and gives us new hearts and new life, and he dies on the cross in our place for our sins so that you and I can live. This is the gospel message. Yes, there is bad news. Yes, there is judgment, and Jesus takes that judgment upon himself so that you can live, so that you can experience the grace of God, so that you can know him in all his might and mercy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We, he's talking about his mission here, we are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, about the things they do that make them right with God, and not about what is in the heart. Again, The same thing they're after in Genesis 6 is the same thing that Paul is after here, that our heart is conformed to Christ, that we're given new hearts by Jesus and that we live not because of what we have done but because of what he has done. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because he gives us his new heart and we're not after the evil and we're not after the dog pile anymore because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live to themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We look at that and we realize, this is what I deserve. And what I deserve, he took on his shoulders so that I can live and know him and respond to that love that he has for us. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, who was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We don't get what we deserve. He gets what we deserve and we get what he deserves. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors uh, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The flood I deserve, he takes on his shoulders that I might stand before him righteous and good. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace we might become his according to the hope of eternal life. Back to Ephesians. Back in Ephesians, where I left off here was this carrying out the desires of the body and the man uh, in the mind were nature by children of wrath like the rest of mankind but but god being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated uh, us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Noah doesn't deserve to be saved and neither do I. And yet, God leads him, guides him, and he obeys him. And he does what he's supposed to do. He follows him. God's answer to sin is twofold judgment and salvation. We always want mercy, we never want justice. Right? We don't want what we deserve. We want to be let go, we want to be let off the hook, we want to be the exception to the rule. We want the warning, not the ticket. You were speeding, you deserve the ticket. You want the warning, not the ticket. And yet Jesus stands in our place and takes much more than the ticket. Jesus standing in our place takes that curse that we deserve on us, because we, we are broken and jacked up and miserable, and he takes it on himself. Not just, uh, uh, and he does this to make us new, So now we're creatures, we're people made new, we're men and women made new in the gospel of Jesus Christ because not only did he take it upon us, but he gave us life in exchange for our sin. What do we do about it? We turn. We get on the boat. We go through the door. Jesus' manger cross and is crowned. Jesus came and lived that life that I was supposed to live he dies on the cross for my sins he's risen from the dead he's ruling he's reigning and extending his grace and mercy to us to us and we respond to that grace and mercy we turn from our sin and we turn to him not because there's anything we can do about it because we stand apart from him as totally messed up totally sinful And yet in His grace and mercy, He redeems us. He saves us. He makes us new. He blots out the sin. Just like He was blotting out the sin with the flood, He blots out the sin of our own life. He makes you clean and free and new. So yeah, I'm a sinner. And yeah, I'm saved by His grace and mercy and I'm new. All of it on His cross for His glory and for my joy. If you do not know Jesus, today is the day. We stand in a lot of trouble apart from him. We haven't done the things we're supposed to do. We haven't done the things of loving others. We haven't done the things of generosity. We haven't done the things of kindness. We've done wrong things. We've been selfish. Uh, We've turned to a love of self, and we've hurt others, and we've hurt God. And there are just good things we plain and simple did not do. And yet Jesus Christ forgives us for them all. Knowing not just our action, but our hearts behind those actions. Knowing our heart, that sick heart that's deceptive and messed up apart from him. He forgives us. And so if you're a Christian, you need to know that you're forgiven. You have a new heart. That's why you get a new heart. And you need a new heart. And if you don't know him, today is the day. He will give you a new heart. He will give you a new life. He will give you the joy. He will give you a life responding to him. Not just the love of ourselves. Uh, We're going to transition now a time of communion where we remember Jesus' body broken and blood shed for our sins. That he took the wrath that we deserve so that we could be forgiven. This was his grace and mercy. This is the great exchange that we remember that he took on himself our sin and he gave us his life. And so this is a celebration. We are forgiven people known and loved by God. He drank the cup so we don't have to. And so when we do this, we remember his body broken and blood shed for us. Uh, logistically, what we're looking at here is we've got gluten-free on the far side. We've got normal bread on the, in the middle. We've got uh, wine and juice according to your conscience and a basket for the offering of the ministry. Um, if you are a Christian, this is for you. Uh, this is for us to celebrate together. We're gonna stand up and we're gonna sing to this God who took our sin on his shoulders so that we could live for his glory. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just thank you that we have life. We stand as sinful people who have been forgiven. And so as Christians, we know that. The old man has passed away, the new man is here, that we're taking off the old man and putting on the new and we get to live life in response to you for your glory. That we're forgiven people, we're loved and we're known and we're cherished, and there's nothing we could do to earn that love. It is a gift of grace to us that we might respond to your mercy and grace in the worship of you. We've not done the things we're supposed to do. We've done the things we weren't supposed to do. We've chosen not to do the right things, and you've forgiven for for us them all. Jesus, we love you. We need you. And we pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.